Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. The Story Discovery Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener. I've been using Scrivener since 2014, and I never looked back. It's an amazing tool for writers, and then it lets you build research in the same document that you're doing your work. You can put in images and PDFs. You can organize your work using the corkboard view. You can set goals. You can export it to multiple formats, including ebook and manuscript. There's really nothing Scrivener can't do in the writing universe, and I highly recommend it, which is why I'm so pleased that they're a sponsor. If you'd like to check them out, you can follow the link from our website or just type Scrivener into your search engine. Our listeners get a 20% discount by using the coupon code STORYDISCOVERY at checkout. If you're a writer and you haven't tried Scrivener, I highly recommend it. Give Scrivener a try. You won't regret it. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Hey, listeners. We are so excited to let you know that the next several shows we'll be talking with the winners of our winter edition contest. Melissa and I would first like to thank our guest judges, Becky Hinshaw and Christopher Clancy, for their tireless work in the difficult task of selecting the top stories and poems. We would also like to thank each writer and poet who submitted their works for consideration in our first ever contest. We know writing and submitting can be a daunting experience and we appreciate the opportunity to read your work. We wish all of you a prolific 2022. On today's show, you'll hear one of our honorable mentions, Green Tips and Orange Peels, a prelude to When Boys Have Breasts, written by Francis Miller and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Green Tips and Orange Peels, a Prelude to When Boys Have Breasts, written by Frances Miller. Maine, I wish Pop stuck around long enough to stop insecurity from bogarting my sexual peak. Do normal people say bogart? I hear it all the time here in Memphis, but never heard it on Martin, Fresh Prince, or even Seinfeld. Anyway, the bogart happened at a sleepover back in the day. Two boys, three girls. Only one counted. Though not yet familiar with my own breasts, that night I became familiar with hers. Granted, that's likely more detailed than the medical form requested when it asked if I'm sexually active. Here you go, all done, I tell the front desk lady. So let's see, Fred. You're here to see Dr. Dodson. Do you have your insurance card? Um, I hesitate. Oh, wait. You're Shirley's son. I gotcha. Have a seat. We'll call you back in a few. The receptionist, looking over her gold wire-framed glasses, remembers my appointment is a personal favor to my single mom. 
Dr. Dotson's best friend. Doc took pity on us when I needed some vaccination shots before heading off to college, knowing we hadn't had health insurance in, like, forever. I mean, I'm probably exaggerating by saying sexual peak, but I tend to do that. You know, build things up bigger in my head. But being in my own head is what got me stuck in this love triangle anyway. Not sure how I got mixed up in this mess, but I know that sleepover is where things first got messy. That messy evening was a warm summer night in June. Actually, this is Memphis, so it was probably more like a hot-as-hell summer night. It was my first and last co-ed sleepover. Eddie was even younger than me. He couldn't help. My two sisters were there, so it hardly seemed scandalous, but this wild card, Michelle, set it off. The five of us were practically strangers. My two sisters, who were dad's daughters but not mom's, had come down from Indiana shortly after school ended. Hadn't met them before. They were both as oddly skinny as I was noticeably plump. They shared the same dark cocoa skin the chocolate factory had obviously made too much of when molding Dad and decided to save the leftovers for them. My exactly medium brown skin landed smack dab in the middle of Mom and Dad's complexions, like they only had half a serving left when they got to me. Both sisters were born in the same calendar year, but they told everybody they were a year apart. During dinner that night, well, I generally don't consider pizza dinner because dinner needs a side dish. Supper, maybe? I still don't know the difference between the two. Anyway, over our evening meal, Mom commented under her breath, You couldn't even wait the six weeks, huh? To Dad, but Mom's whispers sound like people talking with their Walkman headphones on. They think they're talking normally, but everyone else is looking for the megaphone. Dad cut his eyes in a way that let me know it wasn't nice, but I didn't get what Mom meant by the six weeks comment. Don't quite get it still, but at least back then I didn't feel like I should be embarrassed not to. Eddie was in my karate class. Not sure how we became friends except for the fact that we were both yellow belts. Dad gave out white belts when you signed up, which had a functional purpose to hold together your buttonless white karate jacket top. The yellow belt came next, symbolizing you hadn't quit in the first several months of lessons and your parents' tuition checks hadn't bounced. After that, the journey from yellow to green to blue to red, and finally to black, was much more rigorous. Unlike Eddie, my belt had green tips, meaning I was an inch closer to getting my green belt. Couldn't tell you how that translated to skill level, only that neither of us could break a wooden board with our karate chops. But maybe when my palm struck the lightly colored pine wood, the board looked like it wanted to break a wee bit more than when Eddie hit it. Whenever Dad got really angry and Mom would talk back, I'd think of him in his black belt breaking six boards at a time. Was Mom really that brave, or did she not remember like I did? But I liked Eddie. See, I always felt younger than kids my own age. Mom would always brag to her friends about how mature I was to be so young. Dad would comment on my age, too, but only to point out how fat I was for my age. 
He never said that outright, but his tone and laugh did, and the people's reaction echoed it. He thought I was too young to understand, but I did. And that's probably what Mom meant when she bragged about my maturity. Even still, I felt foolish around kids my age. I bet my classmates would have gotten Mom's six-weeks joke. I would have laughed like I got it while wondering how they all knew what I didn't. Anyway, I could relax around Eddie. I felt older than him. Not by much, though. Just enough to seem cool. Michelle wasn't in karate, but would tag along with her older brother, a green belt with blue tips. That night, we were all in the dojo below the upstairs apartment, briefly disguising as home. At the time, it felt cool to be the son of a sensei, to live where he taught. The dojo still had a slight tang of body odor in the air, though none of us were funky. It's just that Mom hated cheese, even when she wasn't pregnant, and would get every pizza topping on the menu to drown out the cheese taste. Well, I needed to hold the slice together, she would offer to those who questioned why she didn't just get a pizza without cheese if she hated it so much. Really, I knew. Deep down, she just didn't want to inconvenience other cheese lovers. It's crazy how onions, green and banana peppers, black olives, and sausage would join forces like the characters of Voltron to form a scent birthed in the armpits of children playing outside all day. Our pizza, from Broadway's pizza next door, only had cheese and pepperoni, the way pizza should smell. We sat in silence after the grown-ups had gone upstairs and let us youngins be. Freddie, you have the last piece. I know you want it. One sister offered while the other snort giggled. Now nah, I'm full. I bold-faced lied. With every trip to the pizza box, I would monitor, calculate, and then recalculate each person's fair share. I had been eyeing that slice since Eddie threw away his plate, crust, and picked off pepperonis, despite his entitlement to the last piece. My sister probably saw my gazes, and that's why she knew, but I took it as her assuming the fattest kid wanted it. Dad had agreed to take the girls, from a previous marriage, for the summer. A grand gesture he wouldn't repeat nor extend to me once I found myself in their unbearably uncomfortable shoes. Sometimes, those green tips on my yellow belt, that maybe I didn't deserve, felt like the only thing Dad had ever given me. My unearned pride when one of Mom's friends would ask how karate was going, and I boasted, I'm a yellow belt with green tips. But that night, the three of us were supposed to bond, forgetting the remissness of the past and ignoring the inevitable disappointments of the future. As an only child, based on experience, I didn't know what to do. Can't remember if Michelle was supposed to be like a chaperone or my oldest sister's new friend. But she spoke like she was in charge, so we ain't even have no choice if we believed it or not. I didn't fully understand when puberty started or ended, but it felt like a test that Michelle passed with flying colors and we all failed. She was much closer to woman than she was to girl. Don't know how else to explain it. Like all the other girls my age smelled like regular soap, 
and you could even still smell the paper wrapper the bar came out of on their clothes. Michelle's skin whispered she used a special citrusy soap she had to unpack from an orange peel. Yet it wasn't the aroma itself that made her so womanly, but rather the idea that only a woman would recognize the time taken to remove the soap's rind was worth it, to cast a spell on those she allowed to get close. Soap aside, she was also the only one with a clear plan to save us from a night staring at each other while twiddling our thumbs. Her recommendation was simple and prudent. Let's make teams, boys and girls. Come up with an idea to entertain the other side and we'll see who's better. Michelle barked orders from high above. The division of boys and girls was a social staple I'd learned about a few months earlier. One morning, Mom had an appointment and had to drop me off at school early as hell. At any point in my childhood, my family had at most one working car, often enough less than that, so 99.9% of the time, school drop-offs were right on time or stupidly late, but never early. To keep students organized before the doors opened for breakfast, the administrators lined up the early birds by grade in the teacher's parking lot. After finding my section, I tiptoed to the back with my head down, avoiding eye contact until catching the glance of a familiar face. I stuttered into a conversation with a girl I barely knew, though well enough for her to provide comfort amongst the unfamiliar. Small talking my ass off, I latched onto her with little intention of letting go. I followed her into the cafeteria, hanging onto her every expert action. Maine, I was so caught up with copying her, I almost paid for the meal instead of using my free lunch card. As we left the breakfast line, there was no doubt who I'd be sitting next to. Following her to the table so closely, I nearly tripped on her heel. I couldn't wait to sit and take a bite after exhausting every conversation topic on earth. I sat. I took a bite of sausage patty. I chewed. Although I expected a break from conversation, I hadn't been prepared for the deafening silence, which was weird for a large lunchroom, that could have doubled as an airport hangar, full of normally loud-ass kids. My eyes met my seatmate only to see her staring at me, astonished. Embarrassed, I turned away only to lock eyes with her friend, looking at me with the same expression. Retreating to the next face, the same contortions of feminine facial features chased my eyes from seat to seat, table to table. Wait. Everyone on my side of the cafeteria was female. I messed up bad. It was humiliating. I had set on the girl's side. As I stood up, grabbed my tray, embarked on a walk of shame to the boys' side, and escaped the suddenly overwhelming stench of regular soap wrappers, several questions jogged across my mind. How could a hundred kids laugh with a volume to rival a packed football stadium? Were they all taking vocal cord steroids? What type of dealer sells drugs to little kids? He's a girl. You a girl, ain't it, Maine? Enough. I've heard that a million times already. 
at least be creative. Was I not a boy? Why didn't she warn me? Would the embarrassment ever subside? It did, eventually. I now respected Michelle even more for making the sides perfectly clear up front. Perhaps transparency came with maturity. Back at the sleepover, once divided, each team planned its form of entertainment. The boys' choice was obvious. Obsessed with basketball, I figured if we played a game of one-on-one for the girls, surely they'd be as entertained as I was watching Michael Jordan, or at the very least, Scottie Pippen. Contrary to the saying, ladies first, the girls deferred, and we scored a few buckets, undoubtedly impressing the trio. Winded, Eddie and I retired to the chairs parents waited in during karate class on the back wall. Michelle and her impromptu Supremes took the stage and lined up side by side between two of the three carpeted weight-bearing beams that acted like centerpieces across the dojo floor. A song played perfectly in each of their heads. J.J. Fad's Supersonic, I presumed, as they offered up a flawlessly choreographed dance routine. Mirrors covered the entire front wall, so each move hit Eddie and me twice, accompanied by shakes and gyrations that made sports seem immature. Halfway through the routine, a curveball shot through the dojo. The girls grinned at each other before confirming their next move. They all three reached down to the bottom of their t-shirts and raised them. But I could only focus on Michelle based on my loose understanding of incest. Michelle possessed what I believe transformed girls into women. It was almost a relief when they lowered their shirts as I was overwhelmed by the sudden escalation of our childish games. Smiling from ear to ear, the girls accepted victory. But they weren't humble winners. They were ready to collect their prize. Yeah, I think we should show them. For real? You sure? I asked Eddie as we took chambers in the boys' changing room. We were to return the favor and show what made us boys. Why not? I ain't scared. Eddie proclaimed while puffing out his chest and towering over me despite being two inches shorter. I hated that he had more moxie than me. What if he towered over me out there, too? I resented him for being stronger than his insecurity. Or even worse, for being able to ignore its existence. Regardless, this was moving too fast. This felt like sex, and I knew nothing of a single bird or a solitary bee. I don't know, because my dad might karate chop us both if he found out you messing with his daughters. Plus, I heard if they got a disease, our dinglings could fall off. He had to reject them. I couldn't be the coward. It had to be done. I would do it again. Really? I guess so. I'll tell him we ain't doing it. Eddie acquiesced. Honestly, I don't think Eddie believed me. And I didn't get the sense he listened because I was older. Never could shake the feeling that it was those green pieces of tape wrapped around the ends of my yellow belt that demanded his respect. The girls were disappointed, 
I rolled my eyes at Eddie to infer he was the holdout but didn't feign enough frustration to have them question him aloud. I wondered if I had made the right choice until I learned the opportunity wasn't all lost. As we headed to our sleeping bags lying in the middle of the dojo's parquet floor, the girls reopened access to their prized possessions. Michelle beckoned me as Eddie entertained the sisters. Despite shyness with my own body, I felt right at home lying next to Michelle. She caressed my cheek, inching me closer, and I could see remnants of orange rind beneath her fingernails. Mimicking something I'd seen on Cinemax, I wildly kissed and fondled Michelle's two grapefruits. Maybe my mind was playing tricks on me, but instead of citrus, her skin tasted exactly like her caramel complexion. This was a relief because I had already developed my deep hate for the taste of anything chocolate. Ice cream, candy, cake, cookies. Can't stand them. My sloppy tongue traveled sporadically across her upper body. She snickered at my enthusiasm. I now wish I would have tried to kiss her on the mouth so I would have had practice before my first kiss in 10th grade. But that was my only regret. I never felt guilt about selling out my friend Eddie. Our friendship ended naturally several months later when Dad's coke habit lost us the karate school and we were forced to move into an old house across from the projects. The projects were probably nicer. At least they had running water. I rarely even thought about Eddie being there that night. Only my time with Michelle. Well, at least not until a few months ago, when I sold out my best friend trying to recapture my dream girl's heart. Didn't work this time, though. My betrayal smelled like mom's pizza with all the toppings, and each bite tasted like fate. But every so often, Michelle's citrusy soap seductively dances on my nose hair while I feel her soft, caramel skin on the tip of my tongue, and not even the chocolate, bitter taste of karma could sour that. You've just listened to Green Tips and Orange Peels, a prelude to When Boys Have Breasts, written by Francis Miller, and Francis is our, one of our honorable mentions for our winter edition contest. Welcome to the show, Francis. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you on. And of course, we always have our co-host on as well, uh, Melissa Collings. Melissa, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> Great. All right, Francis. Well, um, so folks have just heard this story, and I'm sure they're quite intrigued and uh, interested to learn more. So before we talk about uh, the actual story itself, uh, give us a little background about you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, JW. Um, again, I'm Francis Miller. I currently live in the Atlanta area. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and as, as you may have heard in the story, uh, <laughs> I, I love Memphis, and I like to uh, make references to the city. Mm-hmm. I uh, grew up there um, and then went to college in Philadelphia. I went to the University of Pennsylvania um, to the Warden School for Business. And initially, I took a more traditional um, career path, um, more you know business versus creative. I worked in account management and pharmaceutical sales. Um, then I moved to Nashville, where you guys were, um, are, 
and uh, went to Vanderbilt and got my MBA. Um, mm -hmm. After Vanderbilt, I started a career in management consulting, and that's kind of where the the transition to writing um, uh, kind of began. I, I was working in consulting, and you know, I was it was, it was pretty lucrative and. I did, you know, ideally I was, had a successful life. Um, I married and I had my first son and, uh, at the time uh -huh. and, you know, life was good. Um, uh, but I, I, I had some hiccups at work. I switched jobs, uh, switched companies and I was traveling, uh, every week for work. And I mm. it just, I just wasn't, I, I just, I just started, there was something, there was something missing. There was just something where I wasn't really happy. I started exploring those emotions in a, a blog series uh, just for fun. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is I would take um, some emotion or issue I was having in the current day and relate it to a childhood uh, memory. Uh, I wrote about, and I wrote about 20 of those blogs and through writing the blog series, I realized that I, um, I in Memphis, I grew up kind of poor and, and in terms of going to college, I was just really focused on, you know, making money so that my family wouldn't have to experience those type of um, experiences with poverty. And I never sat back and thought, like, what do I actually enjoy doing? You know, mm -hmm. and, and through the blog wow. series, I realized I really liked uh, I, I really enjoyed writing. And uh, in 2018, I quit my job. And thanks to my you know very supportive wife, I was able to do that. And I just focused on writing and I wrote my novel When Boys Have Breasts. Uh, and I completed it in 2018, at least the first draft. Um, mm -hmm. And Great. there's there's a lot of fun information about that. But uh, <laughs> I've been I've been I've been constantly working on it. And um, we after I quit my job, we had our second son. So we have two boys now uh, here. And uh, nice. I was, you know, so kind of um, part time writer, part time, full time dad. So, yeah, yeah. So that, wow. that, that's Francis in a nutshell. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> Yeah, that's excellent. You know, it when you're talking about pursuing and evaluating what's meaningful in your life, it is it's ironic because my newsletter that goes out tomorrow is on exactly that. Oh, wow. I have okay. yeah, exactly that. Evaluating um what what that feeling of contentment and you know what success means to you. Um and so many things are involved in in pursuing your dream. And you have to look at those things and you have to evaluate, you know, are these things that I'm willing to do? Is it make me happy to do these things? Right. Yeah. In order to get to that goal. So your goal, you're reevaluating. So I love that, that about you. That's your story is you're living <laughs> yeah. that in, in, uh, in action. So that's, that's hilarious. Um, well, shall we jump into talking about this, this piece? Sure, let's do it. I would like that. I would like it. <laughs> Tell us about this, like your idea, where this came from, how this got started, and how it's evolved. So, um, as I as I alluded to earlier, I you know I wrote, you know the the good thing about you know pursuing your dream is you know you have this freedom to you know go and write. the The challenge is I was not formally trained in writing. So I mean to be mm -hmm. honest, I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> at all. I just knew that <laughs> a lot I of people don't. This, I, yeah, so I had this great idea based on my childhood for this book called When Boys Have Breasts. So I was just gonna go out and write it, and um, and then once I wrote it, you know, 
the publishers were gonna be beating down my door to publish it. And, <laughs> um, I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be a millionaire by you know 2019. Uh, right. So once I finished the novel, I, you know, I got a very, uh, you know, rude awakening. I started doing research oh, um, yeah. online, and then I went to some writing conferences. And um, the the first uh, rude awakening was I. Um, my first draft was 129,000 words. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and at the time, at the time, I it was um, at the time I thought it was maybe adult fiction, uh, and just by chance, um, on my website I mentioned how you know how long it was, and a friend of a friend said that book's too long. It it needs to be 90,000 yeah. words. And I said, Yeah. This person doesn't know anything about me. How do they know? <laughs> you know this, right. This right. person's crazy. And I said, and I said, okay, let me use this thing called Google. So I started Googling <laughs> and finding all these articles about, you know, you know, literary agents and when they're trying to, yeah. you know, if you want to get out of slush pile, things to do and, you know, to target based on your genre. And it was just like, oh, wow. So I, I really did <laughs> write that. And then also I then also just a lot of things as a writer um, that if, I guess if you're not, if you don't have more of the formal training, so, for example, I'm used to writing, um, you know, maybe work emails or business things. And, for yeah. example, you you're, you're kind of taught that contractions are, you know, uh, in, you know, informal. They don't look good. But if you're mm-hmm. writing, uh, especially fiction and conversation, a lot of people don't say, I cannot do that. They say, I can't, you know. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> so there was right. I think there was a lot. I think there was a lot. There was a lot of there was a lot of those type of things or. um one of my favorite examples was just the, you know, they were saying you're probably not using strong enough verbs. So I ran quickly. You could have just said I sprinted and I, I just, yeah. so right. that was, so, so I started doing research. Like, okay. Every mistake that they <laughs> say that you can make, I made in that draft. <laughs> so it was, back, so, it was, <laughs> so it was back to the, it was back to the drawing board and, um, you know, came up with some new drafts and from green for green tips and orange pills, I originally kind of alluded to the uh, this you know some of the story in this piece in the beginning of my novel, and I got feedback from uh, eventually like from literary agents and say, well, you, starting with a flashback, it um, it can be a bit jarring, and also you kind of want to get the reader to the meat of your story you know as quickly as possible. So mm-hmm. um, you know after they kind of had to. They kind of had to fight me, but at some point I said, "Okay, I'll <laughs> maybe you have a good point." And I, so I took the, um, I took the elements of that out of the prologue, and um, but I had it, and I, I really, I liked the story, and 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 again, this is all kind of based on my childhood uh, to some extent, and I really liked the story. And recently, um, you know, with the contest, or you know, a little bit before, I said, you know, why don't mm-hmm. I try to adapt this story to you know a short story? instead of just, you know, kind of leaving it in the archives or trash. And right, right. Um, and that's when I, I, I came up first with the the green tips element of the of the story and uh, through a little revisions and I came up with the orange pills uh, part of it. So those so those those elements are kind of new for the short story. Yeah, and that that's kind of where <laughs> where we are there with green tips and orange pills. Great. Well, um, okay, so you have a book that's called When Boys Have Breasts, right? That's what you've basically been telling us. So yes. what is that about? Because it's a very unique title. Yeah, so it's, um, I might be hungry, but it's kind of a um, coming-of-age sandwich with uh, <laughs> rom-com meat in the middle. 
and Aww. some uh, 90s nostalgia. Um, I like it's, that description. It's, it's, based, uh, it's uh, based on my um, adolescence from mid- like middle school, high school primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and the title, uh, When Boys Have Breasts, one, it deals with um, the narrator issues and struggles with obesity and specifically um, he has a male breasts um, and he gets teased as a child by that and it mm-hmm. and the insecurities and how those insecurities kind of fade into his uh you know his love life and his crushes and how he sometimes he doesn't act or even if he does act he can't believe it's true because you know how could they like this boy who who's you know so insecure and right. and part of it is those uh, interactions with those kind of young interactions with girls and um, those romantic intimate interludes and him trying to, I guess, assess um, those type of interactions. So it's, it's kind of a play on that and those awkward moments. So that's where, that's where the, um, you know, the title comes from when boys have breasts. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. There's a comp title that I am thinking of. I don't know if you have you know, your comparison titles for when you're ready to pitch your novel, but trying to think of that there's one that came out that's an adult female version okay a a plus size you know everybody knows the bachelor and bachelorette right okay yeah plus size woman and uh, the name will come to me at some point i'll take it basically says that she she's going on the bachelorette and she's meeting all these men in this very public atmosphere but she's a little bit insecure about the weight that she's carrying so it reminds me of that okay Um, you could maybe even use that as a comp title for the male young adult version of that um i I would love it because i i've i'm um i am you know in the process of querying i um okay so you are you're actually and i and and, um i made a recent uh, pretty substantial change um to the novel um I, i think i mentioned earlier that when i first wrote it i thought you know maybe it was adult and through writer conferences and feedback, I got a lot of feedback that it should be um, perhaps young adult. Um, hmm. Now I think it might be young adult, adult crossover. Who knows? But right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm targeting uh, upper upper YA. Um, so definitely as those genres change, I, I kind of need new comps or <laughs> ways yeah. to describe it. So that would that would be very helpful. So that it's one to watch by Kate Stamen London. Want to watch? Okay. Want to watch? Okay. Yeah, I, I listened to that one as I was preparing. But you and I are like, I have the same, uh, a similar journey. Okay. So funny. I wrote an adult 120,000 words. I was like, yeah. I started pitching this thing, <laughs> and one agent was like, yeah, this is a good. I mean, it was a w- awakening. Same okay. thing. He he sent this message. He was like, this is a great concept. It seems like it's interesting, but whoa, what are you doing? This is like way too long. You know, cut out right. a third of your book and resubmit to me. Uh, yeah, same same kind of thing. And I did the same thing. I went from an adult to a young adult story. Okay, yeah. Interesting. My story is shelved. Like, that one is shelved um, for a little bit, but it's still dear to me. But let's not have that same path there. Yours, yours is not going to be shelved. It will be positive there. But it's so funny. You know, it is. Yeah. It's the same story. And and I love part of that. I'm, I'm going to side side a little bit because okay. um, I think that anybody listening will really be inspired by your story because you had this great idea and you went for it and then you were told hey no that's not working right. and then you changed it and then you were told again hey no that's not working and you changed it and so it happened again and again and again right. a lot of people stop in the beginning 
they're like, okay, well then right. I'm not cut out for this. And it's not always about that. It's about right. that perseverance. And I think even in your bio, if I'm remembering correctly, you're talking about, um, I'm going to shuffle papers and be all okay. um, <laughs> uh, What did you say here? That you, one of your pervading themes is not allowing self-doubt to limit yourself and your success and your dreams and your hopes and your goals. So I think that is, is huge. So we'll right. talk about that maybe a little bit more. So go, go along the path where you were. I think it's, it's actually related, I guess, to the title because um, I uh, have a if you, if, if, listeners, if you go to my website, you'll see a mock um, book cover and it's a oh, cool. it's a boy and he's holding he, he's in black and white, but he's holding this uh, red bra and hmm. there's a shadow, but in the shadow, he's holding a piece of paper and part of the, the title um, the significance of the title of When Boys Have Breasts is that the character believes that his his breasts and his insecurity defines him and mm. and ultimately in, in romance he kind of realized that that probably had the least amount of <laughs> uh, yeah. you know his whether his, his success or lack of success um, it had to do with things that were well within his control like his his actions you know um, how he treated someone or, you know, the things that he did, which, you know, no one really were, no one was thinking about his breasts or, or even his physical appearance. They were thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, did he do what he said he was going to do? Was he a loyal friend? You know, things of that nature. Um, so I think a lot of times we, you know, whether, you know, you're going for interview for a job or, you know, you're applying to school, these opportunities, a lot of times, whatever you think your weakness is, you think, oh, that's the reason I'm, not going to get this or I didn't get it. And you, sometimes we allow that kind of thinking to derail us when we could just focus on our strengths and how maybe we could, you know, use those strengths and things we can control to achieve those goals. And I guess that's the same thing with me and my writing process. You know, um, I could focus on the fact that <laughs> I don't have any formal training in writing and, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard. And, uh, or I could say, you know what, I, I think I have, some good ideas. I think I have a willingness to change and adapt and revise and I can just keep pushing forward. And I, yeah. I, I think, I think in life, you know, and mo- most success stories you hear, you know, it's never just like Rosie. I just woke up and became a billionaire, you know, a lot of <laughs> right. times. Right. Oh, that was I, in my bank account. Yeah. <laughs> I tried, I tried this business, this business failed or this business failed or yeah. I did, you know, I was looking at the wrong customers and, you know, and, and ultimately through perseverance, you kind of find that, right niche i like that i like that a lot and part of thinking about your you know the concept of this something that that is big in your mind like the body image you know you are not presenting yourself as effectively because you're blinded by your body image and nobody's thinking about that that's what gets you nobody's thinking about that but you are and it's consuming you yes and it's really keeping you from moving forward so that is, that's huge. I think that's a really big thing that a lot of people struggle with and that they need to hear. So I like this idea, you know, with, with the story that you have here and then with your novel. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Well, one of the things that intrigues me that I also think our listeners um, would be curious about is the transition from your successful consulting career into the kind of 
not unsuccessful, but you know, if you're if you're a writer, you're not doing this for the money. You know, right, <laughs> it right. already starts <laughs> off that way, but then you realize, mm. <laughs> right? So, how yeah. is that going? And how did you, if you're okay talking about it, how did you come to that decision? And what were any things that were, if again, if you're willing to talk about this, you know, with your spouse about, like, did you set up a time frame? What were you? Did you have enough money saved? Like, how how did you kind of get to this point? Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think for me, um, I grew up with, uh, my, my brother and I grew up with a single mother and, um, and once people do read the novel, you know, they'll see kind of a version of that. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and very small house. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, there wasn't running water or, or things like that. And I think, uh, as an adult, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to avoid that. Um, but between my wife is in healthcare and she's successful in her career. And although, you know, we were doing really well from, a, um, with two incomes, I, I think part of our conversation was that even with, you know, just her one income, you know, we were still going to be very far from <laughs> where I was as a child. So, right, uh, right. so that's something I kind of had to, uh, realize. And it what was kind of interesting is, um, what, my um, wife does I at some point I realized that she would like um, in her spare time she might look up a blog about it like just for fun mm-hmm. and I I was talking to a friend of mine who also went to business school and I said when I'm not at work I'm not looking up um, mergers and acquisitions right. for fun like I'm not <laughs> it, 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 this is like this is this is purely fun that was kind of an awakening and in that same conversation, um, in our house, we have this, um, extra room right now. It's just junk in it, but it could be like, say a theater room. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking how I was kind of working to make money to, um, you know, like to put towards retirement or to like maybe put a theater chairs and a big screen TV in this room. But as right. a consulting, I was traveling uh, Monday through Thursday. So it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. The irony of I'm, I'm kind of working to make money to enjoy things that I'm not even going to be here to really enjoy oh, yeah. <laughs> because I'm working. So, so wow. I think that, I think that was kind of, kind of the revelation and, and it, it, it was, um, my wife grew up with two, you know, working parents. So it was kind of different. Um, but actually her father was a pilot. Um, hmm. so she could, on one hand, you know, she was, used to the idea of having this traveling person, me as a consultant, yeah. mm-hmm. but she also realized, you know what? It actually might be nice to <laughs> have you yeah. home. It might be it nice to have you home. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and she, and, and really it just boiled down to, she just could see that I wasn't really happy because I, um, we had my oldest son at the time and I would travel Monday through Thursday. I would come home Friday and still have to work remotely. So then there's Saturday. And then, you know, I felt almost this pressure to like, be a, a, to be a week of a father in one day <laughs> right, and then when right. Sunday then when Sunday came I had to like pack for my flight on Monday so I'm already kind of down and dreading oh, yeah, um, the Sunday blues yeah so she just she could just see I mean she could just see that I wasn't happy and you know I kind of explained the things I explained earlier as far as the writing and you know she read my blog and at some point she just said she'd rather have less money and a happy husband versus you know more money <laughs> and right, right. husband and, and once I and once I did it she 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 often says how it's the best decision um uh. I, I didn't have um I had some money saved but some of it was just like maybe kind of adjusting and budgeting 
and interestingly enough, my mom at the time lived with us, and she helped um, take care of my son, and she, once I left, once I was going to be home, she actually, she accepted a promotion at Fisk, so she was mm. making more money, and, and she was supportive, so she wanted to, like, help, uh. you know, as far as me pursuing my dream, and she's been extremely helpful, um, just supportive, you know, financially and just, you know, encouragement. Sure. And, uh, and then we had my, and the funny thing about being home versus being on the road, we had another <laughs> child, uh, so we had my second son, and I really was um, kind of stay-at-home dad um, early in his early in his life, and then during uh, when COVID hit and the pandemic and people were staying at home, then I became really kind of full-time dad. So in many ways, it's, it's been a benefit because if I was still consulting or traveling or even working from home, I wouldn't be able to uh, take care of the boys in a way. So uh, my wife yep. is like, she's very grateful that her like her job is less flexible. So she's glad that I'm the person who, you know, when the kids get sick that I can kind of run up to the school. So it, it, it's, it's really worked out. Um, That's great. Well, well that for us. Great. It's so important to have a supportive network behind you and, and family is like the very first network that you've turned to. And so, right. yeah. you know, congratulations. That's terrific. Okay, well, we do have a couple of writing questions we also like to ask. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your ideal writing atmosphere? So I know the pandemic's kind of put the squash or prevented people from going out into their environments they might normally do. But, you know, do you write at home? Do you get up early? Kind of what's your situation when it comes to jamming out the pros? I I like this question just because uh, it's – it's also one of those things that you kind of grow and learn. When I, when I was first home, um, I said, all right, I'm going to, you know, it was like my first day off work. I'm going to, you know, sit down and, and write the book. And being at home, I just, I would write a little bit. I found so many things to do, like, you know, mm-hmm. laundry, dishes. Like, there's all oh these things goodness. that, it, 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 like it's that. never ending. Th- it's just never <laughs> ending at the house. All these things or, you know, maybe someone you know, calls you because they're like, oh, you're not working. Let me call you. Um, so, so it was just, I, so I did that for maybe a week and I was like, I'm not getting, you know, anything done. So then I just, <laughs> yeah. so then I decided to go to, uh, the McDonough public library and I started great. going, I started going there and, um, one is great from the, you know, not having the distractions Two, like, I can't, you know, talk on the phone. I'm in the library. Well, although there were some people who would talk on the phone in the library, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. but, um, always those, <laughs> always those, but, I like the fact that I could say, oh, I can't talk. I'm in the library, so I really could concentrate and focus. And I, and I really did kind of hunker down for about – it was roughly like uh, April to September as far as the first draft. And, you know, I would just go to the library during their hours and put in a good solid uh, maybe five, six hours. Uh, they Wow. They would open like maybe at 10 some days or um, noon other days. But, I, you know, I would, I would get there pretty early. I'd pack a lunch, and then I would um, – around uh, five something I would go pick up um, my oldest son from school um, but yeah that, that's how I you know that that was my most productive you know that was how I guess I kind of jammed and I really and I'm not a person that can really have like uh, music or like something in the background because it just mm-hmm. I'll get distracted I'll, I'll start listening to the lyrics or watching the show so I I kind of like quiet and some something like a library um, you know someplace that was a little bit of seclusion and and just kind of 
just be along with my words and my thoughts. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, good. That's, that's, great. that's a good idea. I was thinking I might need to try some of that. Hit <laughs> the library. That's a nice, quiet place to be. Yeah, yeah. it is a great atmosphere. So you're querying this novel now, and your dream is, is to be a published author. Yes. So that's what you're heading towards, and I, I commend you for that, and I wish you the best. Um, do you have another, the next novel? Because you know if you get an agent, the very next thing they're going to ask is, okay, what do you have for me next? Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. From this book, I have um, possibly, possibly making it a series, and, and one would be... Um, the title would be like Before Boys Had Breasts, for example, and it kind of okay. uh, talks a little bit about the childhood. Um, mm. uh, before, like, well, his childhood before we kind of lead up, because there's some, I guess there's some of his childhood friends that he met in elementary school, kind of brings them in, and his mom, uh, single mom's kind of a, uh, she's an important character, and she and she, they, they dealt with some domestic violence and things like that, which I somewhat softly allude to in Green Tips and Orange Pills. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I was thinking about maybe expanding some of those stories. And then and then I guess a third book might be uh, a College Time and kind of um, this poor boy from Memphis going to uh, this Ivy League school and Penn with you know a lot of people who are very different. and yeah. Right, know, sure. Economically, racially. Uh, growing up in Memphis, like, Everything was, um, at least when I was there, it, it's, it's definitely changed since I left. But I just felt like when I was growing up, everything was kind of like black or white. Like th- that was those were two options. And I, when I got to college, it was just like, oh no, I'm Cuban, Nigerian. You know, it was just like, oh wow. So I guess there's <laughs> more to the world. So uh, you know, kind of maybe touch upon some of those themes uh, in that book too. And then I have a, I'm a NBA fan, and I have a book that I have to, that's in my head that I have to put on paper. Um, did you say MBA or NBA? In, in, in NBA, uh, professional yeah, basketball. Okay. Right, because um, that's in the story. I just make a try. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, so so I uh, I have like a uh, I have my own theory about superstars and the mental maturity that has to take place. Um, hmm. Like a working title would be the NBA's uh, magical age of twenty-seven. And, hmm. Interesting. Um, and and basically, there's a lot of uh, the, and I watch the sports shows. They don't really talk about um, there's like a, I guess the same way like your physical muscles kind of develop, like your brain has to kind of develop to kind of take on the pressure of, of being, you know, the kind of the best player. And uh, so, right. So yeah, I have to write that down. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. we are coming up on time here. Um, I have more things I'd like to talk to you about, but I think we're just going to have to hold off. Um, first, I just want to <laughs> congratulate you on, I think the voice, I think when I, in talking with the judges, one of the things I liked about this story was the voice that came through. Uh, it's quite powerful and fun and youthful. Um, so you did a good job with that. I just want to commend you for that. Oh, um, thank but you. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure. But the last question we like to ask our folks is, you know, now that you're published officially, um, you know, as part of the Onyx publication, Etched Onyx magazine, do you have any writing advice or are there any tips that you receive that you would pass on to new writers or folks that are interested in becoming writers or anything at all in, in those regards? Well, I, I will share um, some pretty important advice that I got, you know, recently and, um, and I hope this may help some hopefully this will help some people who are maybe writing uh, any kind of like own voice um, fiction uh, type things is that um, the one the agent who's reviewing my novel now um, she gave it a first read 
and she mentioned that um, it felt more like a memoir than a novel. And I didn't know what I didn't know what that meant. When I first wrote the book, I kind of Googled the difference between a memoir and a novel, and I just knew that I wanted to change the names. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I guess it's a novel because I'm changing the names, and I didn't put as much thought into it. So after she said that, and I had developed a rapport with um, her, so I kind of like took it to heart, and I did some more research, and I realized that um, one, um, you know, in a memoir, the enemy is generally yourself. In a novel, there's an there's an actual you know villain, and then mm-hmm. also in a memoir, you're you're a little bit more tied to the to the actual events. In fiction, it's you can you can kind of do whatever you want. So for mm-hmm. me, in telling my story and trying to get across those themes, there was still a part of me that was really trying to keep things happening, you know, the way they actually happened. You know, I was I was yeah. I had not leaned all the way into the fiction side, and after hearing this advice, I was like, wow, you know, I don't have to do that. And I had a lot of um, hmm. ideas. I kind of combined some characters, I changed some things up, but it, and I still have the same essence. You know, I would still say it's. 81.3%, you know, <laughs> based on my life. Um, but in adding that fiction, I, I'm able to make it a more enjoyable, coherent story. There are, in my life, there are things that maybe happened in seventh grade that I thought were interesting and I never got an explanation for it. And so the reader doesn't either. But then I was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, I can, <laughs> this is yeah. fiction. I can actually give <laughs> the reader an explanation, you know, later in the book and give them some, you know, something more satisfying. So, um, I, I would I would say, you know, for any, you know, writers out there, if, if you are writing anything that, you know, you're kind of basing it on some personal experience or something like that, that it's it's okay to kind of lean into the fiction. It's okay to be creative because sometimes you can get almost like locked or, you know, locked in. Your creativity can get locked in and, you know, confined if you're so caught up on, you know, this happened like this, so I have to write it like this. You can yeah. still change things and still keep the essence of your story mm-hmm. and your themes um, and still have some fun creatively. That's great. Yeah. That's really good advice. Thank Terrific. <laughs> All right. We are officially out of time, I would say. And um, Francis, thanks so much for submitting your story and congratulations to getting an honorable mention for our winter edition contest. And it's been great to have you on the show and to learn about your novel and kind of your writing journey. So thanks for sharing that. And yeah, and I, I just want to thank you too. Um, you know, I really um, enjoyed reading your origin story and I think it's great that you two kind of have, um, you give opportunities for people like me, like a new writer to kind of have his first online publication. Uh, I know it takes a lot of time yeah. and work and uh, I really appreciate it. And so thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. It, it great, thank you. It's been a lot you. of fun and we wish you the best going forward. It's exciting to be on the, the front of your career here. Yes. <laughs> That's right, right. And keep in touch. Don't forget yes. us. Yeah, <laughs> when you're famous. <laughs> I will. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, 
All stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.